I really hope that by people listening to this podcast, leaders from chapters listening to this podcast can understand that youth have a voice, they have needs, and they're also the experts of their own experiences. So let's make sure that we are uplifting and being very intentional in the ways that we include their voices. This week on Bloodstream, Patrick and I are joined once again by regular contributor Alexa Abreu, and this time, along with her sister Julie Marr, to discuss the importance of youth empowerment and support and the Teen Impact Awards. I'll also be speaking with Julie Kim, the president of the Plasma-Derived Therapies Business Unit at Takeda, about Takeda's recent donation of 100 million units of factor and bypassing agent. We fundamentally believe that people with hemophilia should be able to protect and manage healthy joints wherever they live. Hi all, I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board, and reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any healthcare decisions. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Listeners, thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. Excited to have Alexa, Julie Marr, and Julie Kim joining us for today's program. But before we get to them and all of that, hello, Amy. How are you? I am well. Can't complain. Can't complain. (laughs) Very good. Okay. Wonderful. We'll just keep moving. There's a couple things that I wanted to jump into before we get to... Our um, our first segment, Blood of the Paladin, which we've talked about a bunch on here, but just yesterday, we're recording this on Monday, and I saw, I saw this yesterday, Sunday, I actually don't know when it came out, but Dungeons & Dragons official online magazine featured Blood of the Paladin and an interview with its author, Jonathan Hill, which is very, very cool. That's big time cool points. So if you want to check that out, well, this is my opportunity to talk about the bit.ly link. So there's a bit.ly link in the program notes to all of our Bloodstream stuff. Now, you may have heard me last week talk about Linktree, and I was pretty big on the Linktree, but I was reminded this week that by the time it gets into the program notes, it comes out as a bit.ly link. So if you want information on scholarships for college-bound community members, if you want to learn about our community-based arts programs, if you want more on podcasts with about women with bleeding disorders, chronic pain, gene therapy, sickle cell, or the podcast-enhanced audio experience of Blood of the Paladin, all of that can be found by clicking All Bloodstream Stuff in the program notes. That link will also give you an option to leave us a 90-second voicemail with your suggestions for show content or your requests to be considered for an interview on this or other Bloodstream Media or Believe programs. So again, you can check out Blood of the Paladin in the Dungeons & Dragons online magazine and all of that other stuff by clicking all Bloodstream stuff in the program notes. I just want to make a note that every time you say Linktree, I think you're going to say LinkedIn, which, you know... Like longtime bloodstream <laughs> listeners know, know that Patrick has an affinity for LinkedIn that I don't share. Like I have a LinkedIn, but like uh, I guess I have a LinkedIn. And so anyway, I just wanted to make that point that it's it's a link tree or a bitly link, not LinkedIn. Namaste. I don't know what piece of data or what subject area expert I'm going to have to connect Amy to to see the value of that platform. But nonetheless, you are right that we are now talking about Linktree that sometimes comes up as bit.ly by the time it's in the program notes. Again, this is wonderful podcast content. So we'll just mm-hmm. we'll move on from this uh, right now. But I also did want to point out one last thing about last week's uh, episode 
Um, I mentioned a couple times the Ruby Ball Foundation. You also heard me mention the Ruby Foundation. It's Ruby Ball Foundation, so I just want to call myself out for that, and also for the subpar audio quality. Uh, sorry about that. That was a my that was my B. That wasn't Greg. So I'm just letting everybody know that was my B. So sorry, and I uh, I will do better going forward. But with all of that being said, I would like to get into the heart of today's episode. And before doing that, remind you all, dear listeners, that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds and are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time. That's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. On March 29th, the World Federation of Hemophilia announced that Takeda joined their humanitarian aid program with a commitment to provide 15 million international units of factor of eight and 5 million international units of bypassing agent for each of the next five years. For those who may not be familiar, the WFH Humanitarian Aid Program improves lack of access to care and treatment by providing much-needed support for people with inherited bleeding disorders in developing countries. By providing patients with a more predictable and sustainable flow of humanitarian aid donations, the WFH Humanitarian Aid Program makes it possible for patients to receive consistent and reliable access to treatment and care. Julie Kim is the president of the Plasma-Derived Therapies Business Unit at Takeda. She and her family are based in Zurich, Switzerland, and earlier this week she spent some time with me to discuss this important story. Listeners, as you know, Takeda is the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream Podcast, for which I am very grateful. I also want you to know that it was me, not Julie or anyone else at Takeda, who requested this interview. I believe supporting families impacted by bleeding disorders in developing countries is a top global priority. And since it's not every day that the WFH has major industry partners making so large a commitment, I wanted to have Julie on to share a bit more from behind the scenes. And that's coming up right now in my conversation with Takeda's Julie Kim. Hi, Julie. Good morning from here in Los Angeles. Good evening to you over there. I, I do appreciate that you are speaking to me right now from another continent and pretty late in your day. So let's start with just a big thank you for being here. Well, it's a real pleasure, Patrick, and thanks for having me. So I just shared with listeners your title, but do you mind sharing a bit more about what that actually means? So ask simply, what is it that you do at Takeda? Yes. So let me try to explain what I do. We have a, a business that um, manages the plasma business for Takeda. So what that means is that I'm responsible for the end-to-end -end value chain, meaning from the plasma donor all the way to delivery of medicine to the patient. So everything that's involved in the middle, whether it's R&D, whether it's manufacturing, pulling all that strategy together and making it happen is what I'm responsible for. Wow, that sounds like a big job. And we'll get into some of the specifics as it relates to this donation here in just a moment. But I want to ask you first, do you remember when you first heard or learned about hemophilia and what your impression of hemophilia was? 
Well, actually, when I joined Baxter back in 2001, it was, uh, I hate to admit, 20 years ago, <laughs> I had heard of hemophilia, but I would say my knowledge was what you would expect from someone who may have heard of it from uh, media or from a movie, right? It's, sure. it's a bleeding disorder where you could potentially die from a paper cut. That was the, the common way of describing it. So, so that was my understanding before joining Baxter. But as part of my onboarding, they had this great program where I actually was able to go to um, a hemophilia treatment center. It happens to be one that was led by Dr. Valentino in Chicago at oh. Rush. So I spent a day shadowing him and his team way back when, 20 years ago. Wow. And it was an amazing experience to see the um, cross-functional care team and how they supported the patients and what they did. It was a phenomenal way to learn. You know, hearing you say that too, I'm reminded how valuable it is to have people like yourself, like Dr. Valentino, who have been dedicated to this community now for decades, to have that kind of knowledge and shared experience and relationships. I think there's both probably hard and soft ways that we can analyze just how valuable that is. So hearing you say that, I'm reminded it's very beneficial when we have people who have given so much of their professional lives and just their lives in general to our community. So thank you for that. And, and let me ask you now about the partnership with the WFH, because it's not a new partnership. This is a new piece of it, but it's not a new partnership. It's been going for about 30 years. Can you provide a, a brief history of how the partnership started and evolved over that time? Sure. Well, you heard me mention Baxter before, um, but you also said that I work for a company called Takeda. So I think that the quick context <laughs> I to provide is that Baxter spun off the business that contained plasma and the hemophilia therapies into a company called Baxalta, which then acquired by Shire, which was then acquired by Takeda. So that's why I now represent Takeda, but the partnership started with the legacy company, Baxter. Back in 1991, actually, Baxter became a corporate partner. And we partnered with WFH because their vision for having a treatment for all matched very well with our vision in hemophilia of wanting to have a world that is free of bleeds. And so it started in 1991. And then we were actually one of the founding sponsors of the Global Alliance for Progress or the GAP program. And a, a, a quick side story, Alain Bauman, who is now heading WFH, sure. was the marketing director, director, vice president. He was a marketing vice president at the time for Baxter who signed that program. So to your point of having people with a long legacy in this space, he's one of those individuals. So that happened in uh, 2003. And from that point, We've partnered with WFH on a number of programs, um, whether it's their advocacy in action or more recently with their World Bleeding Disorder Registry. And as you know, one of the big pieces of effective advocacy is data and the need to have better data is one of the reasons why we supported the, the disorder registry. That's a very brief, brief history of our long partnership. And then, as you know, most recently, we signed this agreement for our donation. And how did that come together? And what was your specific role or roles in that? Well, traditionally, we do like to focus on capability building programs to try and affect change. 
But product donation is also helpful, especially when we can help a country build a sustainable uh, and meaningful infrastructure to continue provide continuity of care. And so here, what we decided to do was to continue our relationship with WFH by providing this donation. And my role in this process was partially because of the history we just talked about. You know, I, I come from the legacy company that has the history of this partnership with WFH and also because of my role managing the plasma business where the products uh, are coming from that we are donating that put me in the right spot to, to be the one to sponsor this donation within the company. Hmm. Now, I mentioned uh, in the introduction, the donation is for 15 million units of factor eight and 5 million units of the bypassing agent for each of the next five years, totaling 100 million international units donated. How did Decada determine both the therapies and the number of units to provide? And you spoke a bit about the world without bleeds vision Takeda has and how that synergizes with the WFH's vision for treatment for all. And I'm wondering if you could speak just a bit more to Takeda's overall point of view when it comes to access to treatment for hemophilia around the globe. Sure. I mean, we fundamentally believe that people with hemophilia should be able to protect and manage healthy joints wherever they live. And Takeda has a very strong track record in terms of access to medicines. So for us, providing the opportunity for an individual to have a life without bleeds through an optimal protection and personalized approach, we felt that we could support that through this donation to WFH with both factor eight and a bypassing agent. Because as you know, many parts of the, the world still have quite a challenge in terms of managing individuals who develop inhibitors. Certainly, and that's a message that through the work that Believe Limited, my company's done with the World Federation's humanitarian aid program over the years, uh, and as we've gone to different countries and met with the folks at the clinics, the patients and the providers, that inhibitor population is one for whom the need has been consistently underscored. So when I first read about, I didn't know this was happening, this donation, when I first read the press release, that was the piece that really stood out to me because I've been hearing for so long how much need there is there. So that was, that was really great to read. I think it's great that new treatment options have been provided for individuals, but not everyone has access to all of the options that are available on the market today. And I think this is part of the reason why something like the plasma-derived product, the bypassing agent that we've donated is so critical for, for patients because they, they deserve the opportunity to have a bleed-free life. And this is a one way that we can help them to achieve that. So we're speaking here in late April, just days after World Hemophilia Day. Of course, last month, March is Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. And 2020 last year was a year unlike any of us have ever experienced. So I'm curious from your position uh, as a global position for this community, what is top of mind for you right now? Is there a message that you would like to share with the patients and families who are listening right now at this particularly, we'll say, charged time? Well, I guess I would like to say a, a couple of things. So as I was just mentioning before, it is encouraging to see continued investment in this therapy area that companies are investing R&D resources to come up with 
better treatment options for individuals who are suffering, whether it's from hemophilia A, hemophilia B, or have inhibitors to one of those two. And so I think that continued progress is very encouraging. You know, although there has been a slight setback with gene therapy, gene therapy still offers uh, a bright future. At some point, we will get there. The pace of change and the, the development with technology, I think, is something that I continue to be impressed by, whether it's in hemophilia or in other uh, therapeutic areas. So I think there's still a message of hope around treatment options. So that's one. I think the second thing that the pandemic has shown us is that when there is a strong call to action, you see collaborations coming together. And maybe this is an area that we can also learn from the lessons around collaboration to say, is there a different way of working together as a community to bring about the vision of having individuals with hemophilia live bleed-free lives? So that would be the second point. And the third is that <clears throat> although there's been a lot of progress, we know that there's still a way to go till every individual has that personalized care and can achieve a bleed-free life. And I think there's a lot to look forward to. Julie, thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate, again, you're making the time from Switzerland. And just before I let you go, you mentioned learning about collaborations during the pandemic. And I'm curious, is there anything that you and your family learned through the last 14, 15 months that also might be of interest to families who are out there listening? Any tips at all that that's come, <laughs> come as a result of this pandemic for the Kim family? Well, I, I would say so. I, my kids are in, in the sort of teenage years. They're 15 and 13. So for them, having me at home was this novelty because I've, <laughs> I've had global roles for most of my career. I traveled quite a bit, and I think at first it was kind of odd. Why, why are you home all the time, mom? <laughs> sure. In, in the end, I would say you just like we had to do with work, it gave us an opportunity to interact in, in different ways. And I would say it's one of the things that I cherished about this past year was the time that I was able to spend with my family, my husband, daughter, son, one dog, one cat, and, and you know, it's gonna feel odd when I return back to traveling, which at some point I, I assume I will have to. Yes, I, I too have enjoyed the family time and I'm aware that one day this will change again. Uh, Julie, thank you so much. I'll allow you to get on with your evening. Appreciate you joining me here today on Bloodstream. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Patrick. Take care. To learn more about the WFH Humanitarian Aid Program and Takeda's commitment to it, follow the link in the program notes or go to the news section at WFH.org. So let's switch gears. Let's talk youth empowerment. Patrick and I, when we were putting this together, we wanted to talk about the Teen Impact Awards and why it's such an important subject to bring the Teen Impact Awards, kind of hype it up, talk about it. But we also wanted to talk about why it's important to highlight the lesser known ways that young people are making a difference, especially in today's communities and climate. So joining us now, we have frequent Bloodstream contributor Alexa Abreu, and we're lucky enough to have her sister and Teen Impact Award E. 
Julie Marr with us. Welcome to the podcast, Julie Marr, and welcome back, Alexa. We're excited to talk to you guys about Teen Impact Awards and Youth Empowerment. I am so excited, and I get to share this space with my little sister. This is like a dream come true. Well, thank you for having me. It's been very exciting, so thank you. So, Julie Marr, when were you nominated for a Teen Impact Award? When did you win a Teen Impact Award? We were trying to like look through our records today when that was. It was 2016. It was, 2016. Yeah, it was 2016 when my mom actually started her job at HFA. And what did you win it for? What category? Do you remember? Yes, I uh, won it for volunteering uh, my local community. And can I just say, it's not because she's my little sister, but Julie has been involved in the bleeding disorders community for so long. So for her to get this award was so great, not only for her, but the entire family, because it just validated that the work that we're doing with our community is important and that we are making a change, even if we are in upstate New York. Like for us, it just felt so little, but then Julie gets recognized for it. And we were so, so excited about it. And it just, we just felt so proud of her. That's a really cool story. It's neat to hear like that the family can celebrate it together. Yeah, it's been around, I think, 12 years this year since I've been volunteering, not just here in New York, but everywhere, like Massachusetts, or I've gone to D.C. So it's just been a very exciting experience through the whole 12 years, I think. So, Julie Mar, we were talking about this a little bit off mic. And one of the things I'm really proud of with the Teen Impact Awards is to the point that your sister just made, when someone is out there doing something notable, this is an opportunity for us to recognize that, to champion them, to inspire other young people to do similar, to help young people who are making a difference and interested in thinking and behaving that way with one another. So there's a lot of benefit to it. But you just touched on something that's really important, which was 12 years, it's a long time you've been making a difference in the community. What first inspired you as a young person to make a difference? Was there a person or a moment in time or an event that first compels you to want to make a difference? Um, I think being like diagnosed as a 10-year-old was really hard. So I think being 10 and wanting to learn more about the bleeding her community, I think that's changed, that changed me personally to like learn more and make sure that not like someone who just was diagnosed at 10, don't be scared of what could happen next. So I think that really did change me to be like, I wanna make sure I impact all the community members and all their, all their fellow com- uh, members of like my age or older or younger. And Patrick, I wanna add to that because, you know, I often feel like youth have a lot of pressure I feel like when I was younger, I would see images of really empowering young people. And I often think about Malala. I think about, you know, she is just so strong and she is advocating on these international platforms about education and women's rights. And I would often look at that and say, well, what I'm doing is not that great. I'm not at the UN. (laughs) I... But but I would I would say to myself, hey, I think I'm doing a pretty cool thing at my local community. So I I feel like while it's 
important to elevate the the stories of these very powerful young people it's also important for youth to understand that what they're doing at the local level is just as important it starts really small and i always say that local work is just or even more important than having these these bigger platforms and I think sometimes we put so much pressure on youth to be like this or show these images of these really powerful people and I'm not taking that away from them because they are but we also have to recognize what our youth are doing at the local level. That's a great point. Are there ways in which that either from your work as a social worker or as being a part of this community for all these years Alexa are there ways in which you see youth making a difference that is going unrecognized or uncelebrated? Too much. Honestly, too much. I, and I will, again, speaking for myself, because that's what I, what I do best. Um, youth, and, and there's this whole idea of youth empowerment. And I'll start there, and I feel like everyone that listens to me on these episodes, they probably think I'm a potster and always, like, making, you know, too much noise. But I have a problem with the word youth empowerment. Because... I feel like we are taking away from the youth when we say we want to empower them. For me, and I know for a lot of younger youth in general, we are born with something inside of us that when we see something that is not right, something that doesn't feel good, we want to make a change. And while I, when I was younger, didn't feel like I needed empowerment, what I needed was support. And I mm. think as adults, we need to create that space and we need to make sure that we're inviting young people to decision-making tables and we're be being very intentional in the ways we listen. There's a lot of youth out there doing great work. I recently talked to a 17-year-old uh, in Puerto Rico at the Puerto Rico chapter, and I'm just going to shout out to, to Jorge. He is on the board. He's on the board for the, for the Puerto Rico chapter. And doing incredible work, what he's doing is highlighting what the youth need. Because a lot of times we come in this privileged position as adults thinking that we know what the youth need. Right. But we, we're not, it may not be what they need. So Jorge and his role on the board is saying, this is what works. That doesn't work. This is what we need. And that's what he's doing. He's making such great impact within his local community may not necessarily be, you know, showcased, but what he's doing is so important. Great distinction between support and empowerment, too. I hadn't quite thought about that before, but that's a really meaningful distinction to consider. So I think having someone that is older than the youth that is in the community, having the older generations support what we think and having the mindset of, we're here to help you is better because it's it gives us a better understanding of what we can improve for our future not just their own future so i think supporting the community for our younger selves is will be impacted in better ways for the future because it's not just going to be for them it's going to be also for our for ourselves and the younger generations and you know what? Something, something that came up from that to me is that we often think of our youth as our future. So we're always saying, let's invest in our youth now so they can become future leaders. I don't agree with that because 
by saying that, we're basically saying that they don't exist right now. Our youth are our present and our future. So what we need to do is create space for all of us. It doesn't matter what age. We can we can just like close, you know, like put up a, something around our eyes and not look at age. But we all need to be in the same space and really co-create solutions together because then we work for our present and also our future. You've been listening to the Bloodstream Podcast where we have nothing left to say about the youth. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of great. I don't really know where to go from there. That's sort of, you're right. Like, we need to support so that we're investing both in our now and our future. Amy, I don't know. I, I'm kind of done. You go ahead. <laughs> well, I, Alexa and Julie Mart, thank you. I, I, I think, I mean, just, just wonderful. I, I do want to ask, in, very, in relation to the bleeding disorder community, tell me about what opportunities did the bleeding disorder community to, to give you to, to truly like utilize that voice? And if you didn't have the bleeding disorder community, where would that outlet have been? Great question. I mean, for me, I think being part of the community, bleeding disorder community, it has impacted me to actually become like a uh, study social work so I can make sure I use my own voice not just to for the bleeding disorder community but also f- because I am a woman of color so I can also use that experience that I had before to make sure that I can use it now as a woman of color and just make sure that I can not use my voice uh, like in different ways I think it has also impacted me yeah. in, like in that way so I think it's very important I became part of the community. You know, for me, I have to be honest, when I was, you know, during my, my teens, I wasn't involved with the community because I just felt like the activities didn't really speak to me. So I just didn't feel like I could get involved because again, what I wanted wasn't there because a lot of it was, you know, adults uh, determining what workshop they wanted to, to put on for us. And this is nothing against them. I think it really came from their heart and from good. They had good intentions, but it just didn't speak to me personally. So it really wasn't until grad school that I, once I found to myself and became confident in who I am and started loving myself, my gender, my skin tone, and understanding my position within society that I started realizing all the power that I held within my hands Mm. since I was born, really. I've always had this voice. I've always had rage, honestly, rage in my heart that I've wanted to turn it into change, into systemic change but i just didn't have the tools because again a lot of these resources were not tailored to my needs so for myself i had to do a lot of self-exploring in order to get there but i really hope that by people listening to this podcast leaders from chapters listening to this podcast can understand that youth have a voice they have needs and they're also the experts of their own experiences. So let's make sure that we are uplifting and being very intentional in the ways that we include their voices. Which also means being vulnerable and a little bit risky because it means having 
conversations that are out of the adult's control, and it means allowing new voices to come through and new ideas to be circulated. So it's a nice idea, and it's an easy idea to support, but to just underscore, Alexa, your call to leaders to do something about that, it's nice to support it, but to walk the talk is actually quite challenging. If you're willing to do it, there's a lot of support, I think, for people who are willing to step up in positions of leadership to actually make a change for the betterment of all and not just those who are already well taken care of, but it's not an easy thing to do. So I appreciate you making that point. Um, let's. I know we're coming up on our time. Let's just wrap by talking about, again, the Teen Impact Awards. When is that portal opened until where can people go, Alexa? And if there's anything else, Julie Mar, you want to share about your experience before we sign off, this would be the time for that as well. I just want to say that it's very important for teens to be involved on with the community and make sure that they're heard. Make sure that you talk to your board members and your, your local chapters and make sure they really understand what you want for your future, not just for your future, but for everyone's future. And with that, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, I, I want to make sure that everyone understands that this Teen Impact Awards is completely bilingual. We are making history here completely bilingual. <laughs> and uh, the nominations are open until May 7th. So that's again May 7th. So go ahead, nominate all those awesome teens that are making such a great impact in your community. Um, and you can do that on teenimpactawards.com. Perfect. Well, thank you, Julie Mar and Alexa, for joining Amy and I today. Really appreciate your perspective and your insights. It's great to have you on, Julie Mar. Again, I know it's years later, but nonetheless, congratulations on being a part <laughs> of the Teen Impact Award legacy. You know, that's worth something. So congratulations and thank you again for your time today. Well, thank you and thank you for having me. Thank you both. Thank you, Alexa, Julie Marr, and Julie Kim for joining Amy and I on today's show. Thanks, as always, to our presenting sponsor, Takeda, bleedingdisorders.com, for wherever on your journey you may be. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, listeners. And Amy, what do we have in store for our listeners next week? I have a great conversation with Kathy Rafi, who shares her story with thalassemia, and it'll be on the cusp of World Thalassemia Day. So we're excited to hear about her about rare bleeding that. disorder and her very inspiring story. Fantastic. Another great acknowledgement of an awareness day. So thank you, Kathy. A, pre a preemptive thank you to Kathy. <laughs> and with that tease, that is all for this episode. Check out the program notes in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com's episode page where you'll find links and information related to the stories and segments featured on this episode. Have a bleeding disorders or healthcare topic you'd like to hear us discuss more? Is there an expert or a guest that you're dying to hear from? Well, want to inquire about casting opportunities for Bloodstream podcasts or Believe Limited films? Email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. Again, that is mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. Or connect with Bloodstream Media on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow myself or Patrick James Lynch on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or... Uh, you can follow Patrick on LinkedIn. He loves <laughs> LinkedIn. Amy's on there too. Don't let her tell you otherwise. But I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board. And listeners, until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.